I don't know about you, but maybe it feels like the world is flipped upside down. In this series, Jesus is going to teach us how to live right side up in an upside down world. Enjoy part one of our series, Live Upside Down. Hey guys, so this is such a challenging season for us right now. And um, just one of the conversations we've been having as leaders has been, how do we help our people and we were thinking gently, move them out of their comfort zone. Because if we're in our comfort zone, we get into a rut and we just do things, same old, same old. And how much faith is exercised when we're in our comfort zone? And here we are, every single one of us are outside of our comfort zones. And so what does Jesus have to say to us as we try and do faith in the middle of what's going on in the world at the moment? Very early on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus sat down on a mountain. Bianca and I have been there. I know you guys have been there too. On the shores of Galilee, there are these rolling hills that go down into the Sea of Galilee, creating a very natural amphitheater. And Jesus sits down at the beginning of his ministry to give his most famous sermon, a sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. And really at the heart of the sermon is, what does the kingdom of God look like? If you've been journeying with us as a church, you would know that we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God is here. Why? Because I am here. In other words, God is reigning and ruling through me. His effective reign and rule is here. And he makes this announcement, often with miracles and just demonstrating his power. But then he sits down and he says, now for you who follow me, this is what the kingdom looks like. And really, I think this is going to be so helpful for us in the middle of what's going on in the world right now. We're going to see that when Jesus teaches about his kingdom, it's actually quite an upside down way of living compared to the kingdoms of the world, which is actually quite ironic at the moment because the world seems turned upside down at the moment. But as much as the world is in a different space, I think God is calling us as his people to live this upside down way of living in a way that is going to demonstrate God's reign and God's rule, even in the midst of what's currently going on at the moment. And so the Sermon on the Mount is not how Jesus is going to take the coronavirus away. Um, We know that he will one day, but the Sermon on the Mount is how do we live in the middle of the kingdoms of this world? And how do we live in the middle of the darkness at the moment? So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1. And we read this. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and began to teach them. Now it doesn't say this exactly here. But if you read the book of Matthew, you just see time and time again that Jesus is moved by compassion. If you had to take a highlighter and highlight every time you see that the moment that Jesus is moved by compassion, your pages are going to be filled with highlighter ink. And the reason is because Jesus sees something and he acts and he responds. He sees people in need of his kingdom to come and he is moved. And while the word compassion isn't moved here, we know that Jesus sees his crowds and he is moved by compassion. And so he responds by teaching them, here's the life of the kingdom. So what does the life of the kingdom look like? Well, um, Jesus gives us eight, what people have historically called Beatitudes. Eight, blessed are, blessed are. And this is where we immediately begin to see how upside down Jesus' kingdom is compared to the rest of the world. 
Because if you and I had to try and define who are the blessed, I think we'd come up with a very different list than Jesus gives us. Um, I heard someone say recently that if you want to know who the blessed are, look at media advertising. And if we look at media advertising, we see that the blessed are the fit, the strong, the confident, the wealthy, the healthy, the well-adjusted, the good-looking. And by implication, if those are the blessed, those who are not part of that category are the unblessed or the not blessed. And yet when we look at who Jesus defines as those who are experiencing the blessing of God, we are actually taken outside of the confines of what the world typically calls blessed. And that is so encouraging for us. So when he says blessed are, where does he start? And he starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's another way of saying blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who feel like they've got nothing to offer. And then Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which is actually quite ironic, because if you think about it, those who are bankrupt spiritually, those who've got literally nothing to offer, they are the ones that inherit everything. So what's going on here? Well, again, I'd say if we had to define those who are blessed, we would say those who've got lots to give, those whose hands are full, those whose lives are full, those who have lots to offer, those who have it together. And Jesus identifies a problem with living a life that is defined by what we have to offer. Because Jesus teaches us that when our dependence is on what we gain for ourselves, we may gain the whole world, but we may lose our souls. But those who realize how spiritually bankrupt we actually are, suddenly we're in a place to receive. Suddenly I realize my hands are empty and I am in a place where grace can begin to work and God can give what He wants to give. And so I think what Jesus is trying to say is those who are willing to admit that they are dependent on God for everything, regardless of whether they have lots or little or somewhere in between, they are the ones who are blessed because they are the ones who are postured to receive blessing. This is actually very much a part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray every single day. Give us this day my daily bread. And that prayer is not just for those who don't have daily bread. Those are prayers to be prayed by those who have a lot to offer in the world sense. Those are the ones whose freezers are stocked full of food and whose bank accounts are stocked full of money. Even those people are to pray, give us today what I need, God. Recognizing that what I need, only you can give. And so I need strength. I need grace. I need provision. I need help. I need wisdom. And so Jesus trains us to position ourselves for blessing. To recognize that my dependence is not on these things and so I can receive from God. And guys, I think one of the things going on right now is that these outer layers of dependence are actually being stripped away. And they are forcing us to realize that what I really need, only God can give. And here's what I hope is not happening. That there's some sense of awareness where we go... Okay, now I'm dependent on God. What I rather hope is happening is, oh, okay, now I realize how I've always been dependent on God. And I believe that's what God is trying to get us to, to grow in as he teaches us. So then Jesus grows this idea of living upside down and he says in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Now that sounds like an oxymoron right there. How is mourning connected to blessing? Well, right now, I think many of us are grieving something. I think people are grieving the loss of their freedom, the ability to do whatever they want. Some people are grieving the loss of connectedness and tangible relationship. I know a few people that are grieving the loss of sports on TV and don't know what to do with their time. Many people are starting to grieve the loss of income. But more acutely, some people in this world are grieving the loss of health or the loss of life, either to this virus or the many other ways that this world is broken. And yet Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So now, first of all, I don't think Jesus is saying more blessing is located only on those who are mourning. And so if you're not mourning, you need to somehow manufacture a sense of mourning so that you can experience blessing. But I think what God is saying is compared to the world's view, which is you're blessed when you're not mourning. You're blessed when everything's A-OK. You are blessed when you got it all together. You are blessed when you're healthy and strong. And then those who are mourning have somehow been pushed outside of God's blessing. I think what Jesus is teaching is God's blessing extends in a very special way to those who are mourning as well. In fact, I think that those who are mourning are positioned to receive the intimate, loving, caring, abiding comfort of God in a way that maybe those who are feeling strong won't receive. And so those who are mourning are blessed in a very special way by God's presence. Mourning leaves us in a place where we realize our frailty, our mortality, and our dependence, and again positions us to come to God ready to receive what only He can give. And Jesus says, that's blessed. So Jesus goes on in verse 5. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meek is not a word we really use. And often if we do use it, it's connected to kind of weakness in our eyes. I don't know how many of you remember when you were four or five years old and a parent or a teacher said, so what do you want to be like when you grow up? And maybe if you were a little girl, um, your answer was, I want to be beautiful. or I want to be pretty. or I want to be strong. or I want to be well liked. Maybe if you're a little boy, I want to be strong. I want to be fierce. But I don't know if there's ever a little boy or a little girl at five years old when asked, what do you want to be like when you grow up? Yeah, I want to be meek. Right? Because we associate meekness with weakness. Whereas I think a better definition of meekness is power withheld. Like the idea of a lioness whose jaws can crush the neck of an impala. And yet the same jaws can pick up her little cubs safely and lovingly. And so in a world that is a dog-eat-dog world where everyone walks over one another to climb the ladder, to get the job, to land the contract, a world where people kick others when they're down, to get ahead, meekness is an upside-down way of living. Because meekness decides to pull back strength, not in order to do weak, but in order to do the right thing. Meekness decides to engage in self-control. You see, I think weakness is not being strong enough to do the right thing whereas meekness is strength under control in order to do the right thing and that is what we need right now but Jesus is not done in turning our world upside down he says in verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled one of my favorite quotes is by a theologian from the 4th century since Augustine who said quite famously you have made us for yourself O Lord 
and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So what is Augustine saying? What is Jesus saying? Well, I really believe that we are driven to fill ourselves with something. And so we fill ourselves or we attempt to fill ourselves with food, with stuff, with money, with pleasures. In the hope that not only would we enjoy the process of filling ourselves, but that somehow these things would satisfy a very deep yearning in our hearts for love and for significance, for meaning. Because there's a reason why those who have everything still suffer. There's a reason why those in Hollywood still commit suicide, and I don't say that lightly. There's a reason why the wealthy still get depressed. There's a reason why addicts who have literally taken pleasure to high levels of excess feel trapped and maybe even in their own words less human because yes we do need to be filled but God's word says in the book of Ecclesiastes you have set eternity in the hearts of men so how do we fill a void of eternity with finite things the only way that void is going to be filled is going to be with an eternal love and an eternal being. Only God can fill us. And so, yes, we need to recognize that we are hungry, that, yes, we are thirsty. And when I realize that these other things fill me temporarily but do not fill this void within me, that's when I begin to hunger and thirst for God's kingdom, for what only God can give, His righteousness. And suddenly that positions myself. That now I'm ready to be filled. I declare, here's what I need. I need to be filled, but I look to you, God. And he's there, open-handed to fill us. So this means that, paradoxically, when many people who live what we would call the blessed life, they could potentially be living an empty life. And when many of those who are in the world's eyes living outside of so-called blessing, Jesus is saying, well... If you seek after my kingdom, you're going to be positioned to actually be filled. And so Jesus continues teaching us and challenging us, where he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Well, what is the opposite of mercy? Well, the opposite of mercy is giving people what they deserve. Right? And that's pretty much how the world works. I love what Bono, the lead singer of U2, I love what he says. He says, you see... At the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the center of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. As you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And I think we could all say that, right? So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who interrupt the consequences of other people's actions with grace and with love and with mercy. God's word says again to us in the book of James, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that is such good news for us. I know that I don't want God to give me what I deserve. If you had to see the list of sins in my heart, the list of sins that I've committed in my mind or with my actions, or the list of sins that I have omitted, the things I've not done when God has called me to obedience... 
you would know as much as I do, as much as God does, that I am not deserving of mercy. And yet God interrupts that with grace and with mercy. I want him to be merciful to me. And Jesus says, yes. Just like you want God to be merciful to you, so be merciful to others. Verse 8 goes on to say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I know this is not a very long verse, but this is a verse that I have memorized. Because I have grown in a desire to see God. There's a lot that I can see. I can see all of you in this room quite clearly without glasses. That might change soon. Who knows? But I can see what's going on around me. I, I can read well. I can see the world. I can see what I'm driving. I'm pretty capable of watching Netflix. But it is possible to see everything going on in the world around us without seeing God. And that is a type of blindness that Jesus wants to change in us. And Jesus says, well, for those of you who want to see in this new spiritual way, part of that is having a pure heart. And so if I haven't brought my heart to Jesus, if I haven't confessed my sins, confessed my inadequacies, my self-righteousness, I'm only going to see what I want to see, right? Or if on the other hand, if I haven't confessed my fear and my anxieties, I'm only going to see trouble and pain and difficulty and therefore, I'm going to be blind to what God is actually doing. But I want to see God. And God is saying, an essential ingredient to seeing His kingdom, to seeing His presence, to seeing what He is uniquely doing in this world, is a pure heart. Now, I don't have a pure heart. So that means I need to come to Him. I need to confess my struggles. I need to confess my sin. I need to confess my fears. And as my heart is purified before Him, as my motives are purified before Him, God positions me to start to see Him. And isn't that what we need right now with all the challenges around us? And we can see God. And we can see His blessing. We can see His presence. We can see His kingdom. We can see what He is doing. Now the next one might seem challenging in times of social isolation but I believe it is still possible for us to live this out. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. I love that this verse says blessed are the peacemakers not the peacekeepers guilty by the way so why does this make you blessed? Well isn't one of the biggest ways to lose your peace in relationships? Right? When things go wrong and twisted in relationships. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to live the blessed life, the happy life, be at peace with God by being at peace with others. He says elsewhere to us in Romans twelve eighteen, if it is possible, because it's not always possible, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this is not just something God wants from us, this is something God wants for us. He says, this is the blessed life when you live at peace. When you go home at night, you're able to sleep at night because you know you're at peace with God. You know you're at peace with others. But this is not just something God wants us to hope for or even just to pray for. And both of those are important. But He wants us to work for. So blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who take the peace of God and bring that into relationships. And the blessing of God spreads. His kingdom comes as peace comes in relationships through the peacemakers. And the final one of the Beatitudes, verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I don't know about you. I look at the word persecuted. I look at the word blessed. And I'm like, those two words don't go together. What's going on here? Now, I want to add in something very quickly. Times like this, the season we're in with regards to the coronavirus, tends to bring out the best and the worst of people, right? Including Christians. And so when this verse says, blessed are those who will be persecuted because of righteousness, it is not saying, blessed are those who are going to be persecuted for their self-righteousness. Or persecuted because of their judgmentalism. Or persecuted for their lack of God-type compassion and empathy. There's a big difference between being persecuted for those things which maybe we deserve and being persecuted for Christ-like, love-filled, others-directed, giant faith righteousness. The true presence of God's kingdom coming in our world. You see, if we're persecuted for loving people like Jesus and with Jesus, Jesus says that's being blessed because we're starting to experience what He actually experienced Himself. I love how Andy Stanley actually puts this verse. He says, listen guys, you're going to either suffer for doing wrong or doing right. Make your pick. You see, you might not suffer now for doing wrong, but eventually you're going to suffer somewhere along the line. You're going to suffer the consequences of your actions. Or you're going to start seeing it in your children. Or, or, or somehow, you know, you're going to experience the pain somewhere along the line, even if it's when we stand before God. But somewhere we're going to suffer for doing wrong. So if you suffer for doing wrong, well, you've done the wrong thing. Plus you're suffering the consequences. Plus you've messed up some relationships probably. Plus you're unhappy. Plus you're feeling guilty. Or you can suffer for doing the right thing. And if we suffer for doing the right thing, we can go to bed at night. We're at peace with God. As far as is possible, we're at peace with others. And Jesus says that makes you blessed. So here's the good news that I think we get out of this passage here at a time when so many people are feeling not blessed because of the challenges of our world at the moment. Or at a time where people are feeling like maybe God has abandoned us. God's word is telling us that there are more blessed people around us than we could imagine. That God's blessing, that God's presence is with those of us who are mourning and who are struggling and who are willing to admit our dependence upon God. And so we've got such an opportunity to move into blessing, not away from blessing. It's just a different kind of blessing, and I believe a far greater eternal level of blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the world needs this right now. I think the world needs those who are willing to admit that they need God. I think the world needs comfort. I think the world needs more of those not needing to pretend how strong they are. I think the world needs more righteousness. I think the world needs more of those who are pure of heart. The world needs more mercy. The world needs more peacemaking. The world needs more people who are willing to suffer for doing the godly thing, the genuine godly thing. And so as those of us who follow Jesus live this out, we are bringing God's blessing not only into our lives, but into the lives of others. And this is how we bring light into dark times. And this is how God's kingdom comes.